it's a matter of catching things early enough where oftentimes especially with newer guys something gets done and they're probably like yeah that's uh, i guess that's good enough and then it gets installed and then it gets plastered and then i show up on site and i see it and i'm like that access panel is an eighth inch too small it's like oh yeah but you know it's not i'm like rip it out and they're like what and it's like 700 dollar access panel you know it's going to be buried behind a, a sofa but it just doesn't fly like that's just you know we've set out to be really really good and we're only going to get really really good is if we hold ourselves accountable every single time not not allow the the mediocrity to slip in here and there because it will just continue to slip so welcome to episode 68 of the aft construction podcast i'm your host brad levitt and that clip you just heard is from nick schiffer who is the owner of ns builders and also has his own podcast the Modern Craftsman, so many of you know him from there, on his show with Tyler and Johnny. And Nick has so much valuable information. We really dove into his business strategy, you know, the marketing behind it, the value of marketing, how you can look at other companies in other industries to create your marketing plan. When is the right time to hire? How does that, you know, how does that look with the company culture as you grow and how do you cater to that growth? And, and more importantly, we spoke about the financial side. When you get into job costing and financials and understanding your cost as a company, as a builder and salary and everything that goes with it. And, and what's unique about Nick is not only does he have salary employees, but he has hourly employees. He self performs some of his carpentry. And so these things are valuable to him as a business. And he was very personal um, and upfront about sharing some of, you know, the, the successes, the failures that we all have as business owners and how that translates to the financial side. So you'll definitely enjoy. Stay tuned. We had a good hour and a half conversation with Nick. So let's get into the episode. So welcome to the podcast today. And I'm Brad Levitt. And of course, I'm very excited to bring on one of my really good friends, Nick Schiffer with NS Builder. So welcome, Nick. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on today. And he is a busy man. You guys know him from the Modern Craftsman and very highly downloaded podcast for our industry. Nick's been a huge ambassador. We, um, I think we share a lot of brand similarity in some of the things we use and i would say so yeah <laughs> so i it, it's funny because I, I think our story is kind of similar too you know i did a lot of commercial did construction management you did the same and then i guess what you know entrepreneurship is kind of a weird story because some people just innately want to be i think you're as far as i know that seems to be natural but what made you start ns builders like where did that come from it's funny, the entrepreneurship, I think, came later after I started my company. I didn't really start um, NS Builders because I wanted to own a business. It was more that I wanted to just have control. And I guess I could probably tie out to the same thing, but it was more, you know, when I started my business, it was, it was a carpentry company. And I was doing, you know, small remodels. Um, you know, one of the first projects I got was a full home remodel. So not, not really a small one, but it was just me. It was, you know, I, I ended up hiring two helpers during that time, but it was primarily me and I was doing all the carpentry and overseeing the subcontractors. I don't even know if I was making a markup to be honest, like overseeing the contractors. I think it was just, I was billing my time or what I thought my time was worth and probably putting far too much time into it looking back. But it wasn't until I had met Mike, who's still with me now, um, that I realized that there's other guys in this industry that had the same outlook on things as I did and wanted the same things and were young and ambitious. 
and when i hired him i it was like almost immediate that i realized that i could leave him on a job site and then go work on the on the business and you know similar time to that um is when i started really utilizing social media and growing the brand and at that time like after i started the company and was going through the carpentry thing and once i started hiring people i decided that i wanted to build this brand and even if it was going to be this two-person company i wanted a brand that everyone recognized and that's when i started working with my uh my brand company and developing you know the logo and what what everything looked like and, and designing shirts and all of that and I just started really promoting it and using social media to promote what I did as a carpenter. And it started to evolve and it started to, you know, people were reaching out like, hey, I want to come work for you. I, you know, I want to be part of this. Like, I, I love what you do. I love what you stand for. And that's when the entrepreneurship kind of kicked in, you know, similar time to like the marketing and branding, you know, got hooked onto Gary Vaynerchuk real early and just kind of paid attention to what he did in a, throughout my career i've always tried to take um inspiration especially from business outside of our industry because i always felt our industry was behind in a mm -hmm. lot of ways so i would you know i'm watching this guy build a digital media company and i'm like how do i how do i do that for construction so i just started you know kind of following his lead you know obviously getting into we went to snap you know when snapchat came around everyone's doing snapchat stories and then instagram was like hey we'll, we'll put stories on here if you come back and you know and trying to be in front of that and just utilizing that to our advantage um to fast forward to now it's you know we're just we're, we're just under 20 people and my role has really turned into um you know more of the entrepreneur and really building the business and, and systemizing it. And, you know, for the better part of probably the year, last year and a half has been actually systemizing my company where I don't necessarily, like, I don't, I have no desire to step away from the company. Um, but I would like to be able to step away from some of the things, the day to day and really focus on the stuff that I love. So what are, what are I guess, some, and, and I mean, teeing that up, Nick, there's so many things I want to go with this, you know, from the marketing side and just the hiring and, and, and really the carpentry and how your business has, has evolved, right? But I guess now, what are some of the day-to-day -day things you're doing that you want to, I don't want to say pass on, but at least train and get those systems in place for your team to do? Sure. You know, I think it'd be easier to answer what I would like to be doing. And what I'd like to be doing is I'd like to be have the flexibility of being on site for more than, say, an hour working with the guys, problem solving, kind of being creative, you know, coming up with solutions. That's what I'm good at. And it's probably, you know, probably largely due to the fact that, you know, I'm the owner, right? So me making a decision really quickly doesn't necessarily, like there's no one going to tell me that I'm wrong mm -hmm. where my guys may, you know, not necessarily trip up on it, but may second guess themselves. And, you know, that's, you know, part of training and, getting those guys to feel comfortable to make decisions. And, you know, the longer they're with, with me, the, the better that, that becomes. Um, but as far as what I don't enjoy, I, I, I actually really don't, in, like, I don't enjoy estimating. It's just, and it's a huge part. And I don't think a lot of, I don't think a lot of people do enjoy it to, yeah. be, to be frank, but you know, it's something that, you know, right now 
all of the pre-construction is on me. I'm, I'm marketing, I'm selling, I'm meeting with clients, I'm vetting them, I'm pricing and, you know, and I'm doing all of that. And more recently I'm getting my project managers involved earlier because, you know, we just did, uh, employer reviews uh, before the end of the year and every single person said we need to spend more time planning mm-hmm. before we jump on a job site and and i mean that every single like on on our i do a little questionnaire and, and it's like hey how do i make your job easier and everyone filled out the same thing and so it's something that we're implementing now it's like all right i want you guys to be involved more during the pricing side of it because i'm sitting here i'm pricing and you know to the fault of being a carpenter first, I think I look at a lot of these projects as, all right, I could frame that in a day where it's like, yeah, if I think back, I probably could have framed it in a day and it probably would have taken me 14 hours and I wouldn't have cared. But now you got to equate that to two guys doing that for a day at 14 hours because, you know, whatever, they, they have, they're not having the opportunity to think this stuff through like I am right now. So that's going to slow them down. And now, and you're paying for every hour. You're not just working, quote unquote, a day, whether no matter how long it is. So involving my team with the pricing side of it, you know, lends itself to be more accurate and obviously more aggressive with pricing and, and setting ourselves up for success. Well, I, I think what's interesting, the planning side, at least I've seen, you know, where we've, try to get more streamlined, especially on the front end side, pricing, vetting, getting decisions made, you know, a month on the front end can cost you five months on the back end. I mean, seriously, if you don't have a lot of stuff decided, you're not planning and estimating and there's scope gaps and you know, it, it creates a major cost for us. And I guess my question is for you then, because I think our roles are very similar. Like I spend a lot of time in business development and marketing, you know, social media and um, working on with the architects and designers, those cultivating those relationships, but then seeing yeah. the construction from, you know, when we sign a letter of intent, if you will, and that's, you know, all the way until it's submitted for permit and we hand that off, mm-hmm. you know, are you actually sending it out for bid yourself, like to some of your vendors? Because I mean, some of you are going to self-perform, but is someone being sent out or are you just doing high level budgets for the client? Uh, it's multi-step. So I'm going to do, you know, if it, I guess to walk through the process quickly, you know, I'm going to do a gut check. So if someone says, Hey, if they don't, if they come to me with a design, most of our clients don't come to us with design. So, which is nice. We get them on a pre-construction immediately. We introduce them to architects and we work collaboratively through that. And even at that point, you know, we're going to get to a point where we have floor plans and elevations, and we're going to look at some square foot numbers based on the the level of expectation you know, hey, this is a $600 square foot project. You know, are we are we within the range that we're trying, you know, trying to achieve? But once we get into um, tracking costs, yeah, oftentimes, you know, right now I'm doing a lot of that. I'm, I'm sending stuff out. Um, when I do pass it off to my project managers or my assistant project managers, where it's like, hey, this is going to be your job. You're in charge of pricing it the structure is way better. They're running it through a bid process. We're, we're using build a trend. Mm-hmm. They're bid putting together. Yeah. They're putting together bid packages. It's the right way to do it. But the, the other side of it, it's like, sometimes I feel as though, um, you know, overwhelming them or we're not at a point where I know who's going to run the job. So I'm, I'm going to 
I'm going to be way more informal. I'm going to call my psych guy and be like, this is what I'm dealing with. You know, my number is accurate. And, you know, I track a lot of it. So, you know, oftentimes I can, you know, someone, I can call someone and they're like, yeah, you, you just carry uh, 1200 bucks a day for this, that, and the other thing. And I can look at that. All right. That's going to take five days to excavate, you know, this, this much. I can put together some high level numbers to get the customer to a, a, a comfort level. And once we're there, then we start refining. Um, but it's dangerous because if I get him in a comfort level and I miss something mm-hmm. at my high level, you know, and th- that happens more times than I probably, you know, would like to think it does. And, you know, that's where it, it makes me realize that I, it needs to be way more thorough and I need to utilize the other, you know, everyone else's skill, not just, uh, not, not mine, which, you know, when it comes to estimating, I wouldn't say I'm, very skillful at. Well, I, that check and balance is hard because I, I think the example you give Nick, I mean, I had the same thing. I had a home we did, we built it. So we knew the cost. I had a client that wanted not a mirror image, but they wanted something similar. And this would have been, this was probably 2018. So at least for us in Phoenix, this was at the market where 2018 things started to come up steep, like fast concrete was rising. The labor and material masonry, site work, framing, I mean, not to what lumber is today, right, with COVID, but it was really when things were peaking. And I remember talking to the client, I'm like, yeah, if I take, you know, $25 a square foot, add it on just for incidentals, like we should be fine. And the pricing came back and it wasn't even close. And I really took that high level. I didn't spend a lot of time setting that budget. And now I have a client that's like super upset because we completely missed. And and it was things on, you know, it's really easy for me to look at something and I'm sure you too at a finished level. And I can say, yeah, with that tile, with that countertop, that cabinetry, you know, I have a good pulse of what that's going to cost. But when you're doing a hillside, there are so many variables and it was like, I was 50% of concrete, 50% excavation. So these, these were big misses, right? right? Yeah. It's tough. I mean, you know, it's, we talk about this on uh, a recent episode of the modern craftsman. It's like, we Tyler actually makes a good reference it's like you go to the doctors right and you know you're sick they're gonna run some tests you're gonna get a bill that day and that might not help they're like hey we're gonna run some more tests they're gonna charge you for that too it's like you know as as builders it's like we're expected to know more than like a doctor it's like you're expected to catch everything you're supposed to go into this understanding everything especially and I, I speak a lot towards remodel where it's like you rip the walls open, stuff changes, and people are mad at you that your framing number's off. It's like, and you're dealing I, with I, old I, homes. I don't, yeah, I don't have I, old I homes get, like that. Yeah. yeah, I get what you're coming from, but even new construction, it's like, yeah, there's a lot less um, unknowns, but there's still the level. I mean, you're. I think it was. Um, I forget the gentleman's name, the Zen builder, but you're essentially, you're building a prototype. Like every single one of these, it can be a mirror image. It can be the same exact house, Brad, but you know, it's like every single house, they're not going to be the same. Nothing's going to be the same. And it's, there's still, you're, you're dealing with, you know, a hundred plus human beings, you know, building this thing. And they, they have, wives and kids and like that impacts the job and we you can't there's no way it doesn't impact the job he he's behind because he got sick he couldn't come into work you know there's so many variables in in construction and i feel as though that's oftentimes 
uh, forgotten about and we're held at this 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 level of you should know exactly what stuff costs. I well, mean, it's... yeah, 50% is a, a big miss, but there's probably like you didn't go into that thinking that you were like you didn't go into that thinking that you were just blowing, you know, blowing a number, you know, and and thinking it would stick. You like you had reason to believe that. Yeah, and and I'll say in defense too, when you have the the grading and drainage or civil department of the municipality come in and say you need scour walls, you have to add, you know, a hundred foot uh, slurry, right. you know, trench because you can't have the hillside come in, which was you know never in play. But I mean, there are those variables too. I think what's interesting is you know the analogy as well as the doctor. I think that's a great one. Or like, I'm sure you get customers say, Nick, what what's your square foot price? How much does it cost to build a house? And it's Every like, day. I don't know. How much is a bag of groceries? Like, what right. what do you put in the groceries? I don't. You know, there, yeah. there's there's way yeah, too I mean, much. It's way too open ended. Bag full of steak or yeah. is it full of cereal? You know. <laughs> I mean, it's true. And, you know, the, the square foot number is always so funny and I'll answer it. And I'm like, you know what? Like, what, what are you talking? They're like, you know, well, we're looking to build a custom house. And I'm like, you know, you're probably five to $700 a square foot. That's where I'd start. <laughs> and some people are like, well, I mean, I was hoping to be, you know, 200. Yeah. And I can say right there, it's like, I know we're not going to be able to build something for $200 a square foot, mm -hmm. just not the way we're set up. Well, I was hoping to be, you know, 400, 450. All right. You know, we could, we could probably build that. I'm trying to gauge you. You're trying to gauge me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to come in and tell you I can build something for 350. And then you come back and you have this design that calls for 750. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 550, whatever it is. Right. So it's always, it's always just so interesting and, you know, but people want that quick number. So it's like you go into it and you try to give them the, um, I think Steve basic said it like, what's the number that scares you? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, if you can get, if you, let's, let's figure that number out first. And because if we can figure out the number that scares you, then we know what your real budget is. I love yeah, that. And th I think that's a good way to vet them. And I think I, I've heard Steve say that. I know Sean Van Dyke says that too. I think they should have some yeah. philosophy, you know, from your side, Nick, what's interesting is I've, you're very ambitious. Like I've seen you grow and as builders, I've seen you grow system wise. I'm, I'm trying to understand, like, did you always have vision? Like, okay, even though you have commercial background, you know, you get into carpentry and now you're morphing your company into remodels and now custom homes. Like, was that vision always in play or is it just something that drives you because that's more of a personality trait that you're uber competitive and you want to see and as builders grow? I'm definitely competitive um, in a lot of ways, but I always wanted to build homes. Uh, that was always my 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 goal and my dream. And I I don't really know why I didn't focus on that. I, I think it was easier to get carpentry and remodeling jobs. And obviously, if you do a remodeling job and you advertise a remodeling job, you're gonna get a remodeling job. And then it's like you get into this this reoccurring thing. It's like, how do I break into new construction if my whole portfolio is, is re remodel? Yeah. And that's what I've been really navigating hard uh, this past year is like, all right, I want to break into it. And, and you know, I, I don't really know why because, you know, the people that I've talked to about it, it's like you make good money remodeling. You've done some crazy... You could be the niche remodeler that does stuff for $1,100 a square foot. And it's like, yeah, it's not, but it's just not what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to be confined by the existing building all of the time. 
you know, there, there's something about building something from scratch and that's always been my goal. And, you know, I think it goes back to the brand awareness, right? I, I love when people see something and be like, oh yeah, that's an, that's an NS builder's house. I, I, you can tell. And that's really, I think what has driven me to grow the business into something larger. Um, and obviously just like from a, from a personality side too, it's, you know, I am, I'm competitive and I, I see, I want big things. I want, you know, I want to live in a house that I'm proud of. I want to build a house for my family that, you know, portrays who NS Builders is and, and continue to utilize that and become, you know, this builder that is known for a very particular product. It's like, if you want that, you need to hire the Nick. So when you say product, though, are you looking more like aesthetic or style or more like level of, I'll just call it like a luxury brand? Because it can vary, right? I mean, I know you're pretty versatile in the work that you do anyways. I I would love, it's tough and I battle with this and it changes. Part of, A big part of me would love to stick to um, a specific aesthetic. And that would be, you know, modern, contemporary. Modern. Yeah, you know, like West Coast, hillside homes, you know, Australian architecture. Um, I, I'm just, I'm enamored by that stuff. And, you know, it's what I gravitate towards. Um, but on the flip side, I, I do appreciate traditional and, and, you know, we have a project that we're kind of unfolding right now that's going to be more of a traditional shingle style New England home. Um, we're actually doing another, uh, another one that's going to be more, um, you know, new England traditional as well. And I, I love that. I love that style as well. And I don't want to necessarily pigeonhole myself, um, especially in this market where everyone tells me that modern just doesn't have a place here, which mm -hmm. I disagree with. I think that the product, uh, there, there's not enough of it around for people to understand that it's available. Um, and that's like a whole nother like it's a mentality thing mind. because i mean we can dive into that because what's interesting is you see look the the ultra modern contemporary that we're speaking of maybe some you see norway or sweden too you know some of these european countries but you know there is a tendency where people say well as a spec home you're not going to do it because you're going to cut off a lot of the demographic or families or whatever um see this is where i like this is so i'll, I'll just yeah, tell you shoot. my thought on this right um I don't know if I agree with that. And I've talked to a couple different guys. Like I, you know, we had this really big client a couple months ago that we were trying to find a lot for, uh, long story short, she found another lot. Unfortunately, it came with the builder, couldn't negotiate the builder out of it. And it was, um, I looked it up and it was a modern house. So I called the architect and I'm like, what's up? Like, you know, how'd you, how did you sell this modern spec? He's like, dude, we did a couple of designs and the thing sold in five days because there's nothing else like it on the market. Mm -hmm. But for me, the other part of what, you know, I want to get this business to is I'd love to do one quote unquote spec a year. And, you know, there's been a few that I've went down the path of, you know, figuring out like, hey, this is the lot, this, you know, kind of unfolding what it would look like. And I'm going to sound absolutely crazy right now but we had one recently that it was like it would have been an eight million dollar sell for a spec which just is like insane like huge you know hugely huge leveraging mm -hmm. everything huge risk but 
everything checked out, it would have worked. If we could have, if we could have got the lot, it would have worked and it would have sold. And I think to in in today's world, with computer technology, rendering software, there's so many projects that I'm seeing that are being pre-sold, based on the fact that you know you're through rendering. They can rendering, see it. Mm-hmm. They can see it. It's like, hey, this is what we can build. Are you cool with this? And people fall in love with it because they they're it's hard to decipher what's real and what's not. So. I'm still I'm still going down that path. I'm still exploring it, and I, and I and I truly believe that we'll get to a point where we will do one in the next one to two years. Um, but I do. I think I think the market exists. I just don't think, especially talking to some of these other guys that have sold them on spec, they're like it's the fastest thing that sells for us. And here in our market, the most expensive home that's sold to date that is a hillside like ultra ultra modern. Like ultra right. and it just top dollar, you know, right? And it's hard because I think you know you hear the word luxury and you hear the word modern thrown around wildly, and it's oftentimes attributing to something that is neither of those things. And the you know adding the word like ultra to modern, I think, is important because people oftentimes um, try to portray something as modern when it's just not there the, modern is more than you know regular baseboard or no baseboard or a, a mono string or staircase it's it's more than that it's you know the use of light you know floor to ceiling glass and what that mm-hmm. glass looks like and the, it's you know I, I call them moments there has to be moments in the home it ha, you know and there has it has to be an experience and that you know large pane glass and just use of materials you know there it has to be really well thought out and it has to be done all the way to the end because if you do 75 percent of it it it's not it's not it it's you you've lost it you you've you didn't go all the way to the finish line and now the product looks as though it's not done it's it, it's close but it's more it, it you, you you put square baseboard instead of you know, a plaster detail. It's like, because you didn't want to pay for the reglet. It's mm-hmm. like, it's silly things like that. And I feel as though that, that gets tossed around just too casually and it's just wrong. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I've, I've seen that I've seen, and, and that's the problem with some people's specs is that they'll cut back or may they get timid. Uh, they're tentative in that approach, you know, but going back, I guess to your, not only philosophy as, as a builder, but you know, Nick, I think, how, going back to the beginning, when you're here as a carpenter, you're you're superintendent in the field. You're wearing all these hats. Um, when does that opportunity come to hire? I mean, you talked about Mike, right? That you brought on first. Mm-hmm. So, how did you know it was time to hire? And then when do you start bringing on additional? I think that's the biggest thing new companies are trying to figure out is when's the right time to hire, and then how do I support the payroll? It's hard. I don't know if I have the answer to that. Um, I hired Mike because I needed a carpenter. I needed more carpentry. Uh, two, two of my friends worked for me. Uh, one of them was training to be a firefighter, and he was going to go, you know, eventually be a firefighter full time. And another friend of mine, I, I pulled him away from, um, you know, an excavation company he was working for because he wanted to start his own company. And I was like, hey, I'll help support. You know, I'll, I'll keep you busy. Uh, you come work for me as you start your own company. Um, and 
it was still, it was like, I was the carpenter with these two guys that, you know, they, they, I mean, they were great. They're, they're, they, they were super helpful, but they weren't carpenters. That's not what their passion was. So it got to a point where, um, I knew I needed a carpenter to replace me so I could then build, start building the business, start, you know, selling more work, planning for the next job, not, not invoice clients at 11 o'clock at night. You know, it just, that's where I realized that I needed to, to hire someone and to support the, you know, when it comes down to supporting payroll, it really come, you know, it's, it really depends on how you're set up. But if you're, you know, if you're set up time and material cost plus, it's, it's a little bit easier because you, you bill it right to the job. But, you know, say your fixed costs and, you know, you got a carpenter on staff, you, you hire a carpenter midway, you have to figure out how to offset the hours that you accounted for and put him in that role and, and set those expectations. Like, Hey, listen, you know, I figured I'd be here for two weeks. That was me doing it. Obviously it's probably going to take you a little bit longer, but I need you to step up or, Hey, I'm going to, tr- you know, I, it, step up and either take it from me or if they're in a position where it might be a job or two jobs that you have to work alongside him and it's an investment and it's an investment in the sense that you're probably going to lose money on the carpentry aspect you know one two three jobs because you're working side by side but the effort is to to train them to eventually take that over so you can focus on other things i think the more important hire was um is hiring the stuff that i'm not good at you know for the first gosh uh four years five years probably five years i did my bookkeeping and when i say i did it like maybe twice a year i go through and like clean stuff up and then i using quickbooks or what i mean yeah using using quickbooks but and then I and then I'd pay my tax accountant a couple grand to go through and clean all my mess up every single year. And finally, I I was like, this is insane. Like I I'm why am I doing this? How's that this even is possible in- for four years to do that? That's in- it's insane. Like and yeah, I mean it was just it was a mess. But I but you know what I I look back and and I wonder you know I question well why didn't I just hire a bookkeeper. The reason I didn't hire the bookkeeper is because I didn't know how to. I know how to hire a carpenter because I know what they have to be good at. It's like, oh yeah, you're a good carpenter. It's like when I, how the hell am I supposed to find out what a bookkeeper is supposed to be good at? How do I, how do I test them? And I hired someone that didn't have bookkeeping experience that wanted to get into that role. And, you know, she was great, but she didn't have the experience. And I paid for it when, you know, I had to let her go and there were mistakes in there. And it was because I didn't train her mm-hmm. because she didn't have the experience and I didn't take the time to train her what needed to be done. So she was set up from failure because of me. And it was only, I think I, I was probably frustrated and in, in, in not being able to deal with the, the accounting. And I came across a random, you know, I'm sure you get them the the LinkedIn, like, hey, nice to connect. We should uh, we should do you know, some networking. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, one of them stuck out, and she offered accounting for construction services. And I I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back and look, but I'm I, I think I wrote back, yep, all right, I'll bite. What's up? <laughs> you know, like y- y- you got me. I'm I'm vulnerable. Um, 
and we've been working together for a little over a year now and and man, this is outsourced so you're outsourcing outsourced, this yeah. Time in yeah so everything like from the quickbooks side is outsourced uh and it's a team so basically a, a, a project manager on accounting that handles everything in quickbooks got a qc manager who goes through and makes sure everything is crystal clean closes the books every 30 days which is super like to be able to go in and see the books clean at the end of every month is just huge um process manager that basically documents the process in which we do things so it's like at the end of the day i have this sop like hey this is how you do this is how you pull the bank feed this is how you you know write an invoice um but it was an incredibly painful 12 months of just you know working multiple times a week with her to go through the process in which i wanted things done the and cleaning up what i had made a mess of uh to a point now i can look back and be like man we've made so much progress and why didn't i do this sooner so your question about like how to know when to hire i think that would be a huge piece of advice is that if you're not going to spend the time to keep the books clean and updated you gotta you gotta find someone to do that because but, it's, but, and i understand that but i I, th I think with your side nick is super complex I, what i'm trying to understand is so so she's not part of NS Builders. You know, you're outsourcing your financials. So is she doing monthly financials for NS Builders? Is she doing all your AP yes. and AR? She's doing, you as you mentioned, you know, uh, we, we talked about financials, but what about, you know, all the payroll for self-performing, all the payroll for yeah. salary? Yep. And then what about like the benefit side? Is she, do you have a third party doing benefits or like healthcare or PTO timesheets? I mean, how are you managing all that? All right. So it's a multi-step process for AR, AP, payroll, everything. So um, let's talk about like uh, uh, payables. So a bill comes in, goes to, I have an admin. So she basically takes that and gets it to the PM to get approved. The PM codes it, uh, tells it what job it's for, what cost code it's for. Is it approved? Accurate? Yes, it is. Then it gets dumped into build a trend. So real it's quick, up. so the so the invoice comes in from the sub, and that is mm -hmm. being QC'd by your project manager, not by you. And they're gonna code it, approve it, make That's sure correct. it's within budget, within contract, progress That's payment. Correct. You know that they're good to go. Yep. So yep. And once it's once it's good to go, the admin inputs it into the oh. budget mm -hmm. per the notes of the pm mm -hmm. so it hits the budget and build a trend build a trend talks to quickbooks kicks it over to quickbooks saying hey this has to be paid at, at which point once a week i get a report saying hey these are the vendors that requested payments this week so and you're doing check week. pay once a week like check runs yeah typically exactly. same as me okay yep so i'll go through i'll look at everything if i have questions i'll reach out to the pm like hey did that guy really finish that today like, or is he billing before he should be? Um, if I'm good with it, I go through and, you know, we have a system that um, my accountant and the financial team works through Asana. So Asana is like a project management software, like similar to like Monday or Slack, mm -hmm. I think. Um, but really, it really robust. So I'll get a list in there and each one of those vendors will be listed out. And if I'm good with it, I just click it off say yes approved and once they're those are approved they go over to um the um the girl that runs the checks and that goes into we we, we run all our checks through bill.com 
and everyone gets uh most of them are set up for e-payment so we 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 tell our vendors hey set set up for e-payment you get the check or the deposit in your account in three days otherwise you get a check and it's seven so and that gets released so ar so you're not same, having to sign checks because it's all through bill.com no. or it's direct deposit yeah I mean, we no, and and we let all the vendors know. It's like, hey, we don't. I I don't physically have checks, so if you want to get paid, you you get us for this. It's not. I mean, they're not signing up for anything. They're just kind of okaying the fact that. I mean, they don't have to sign up for anything. They'll just get a check in the mail, or, uh, or a direct deposit if they want to sign up. Yeah, direct deposit. But they're not showing up to my job mm-hmm. with, at asking for a physical check. So. It's it's QC through the PM as well as me. So the the accounting team that who I outsource, they're really just, you know, facilitating all of that and making sure the communication happens. Um, and on every Monday, you know, and that that includes you know uh, credit card payments. So every Monday, I get a report showing every receipt that wasn't entered. Meaning, if if someone went and got gas on sunday you know i'll get a, it will show up on that report monday morning saying hey you know and, and when you say my, get gas on monday is this a company credit card that some of your yeah. team members have yep yeah so i mean it's so anything I, i'm i feel like i'm dumping a lot of information here no this is um, good no this is good the anything from an overhead standpoint so if it's not job everything i was just talking about was job job related, related. right mm-hmm. If it's overhead, if it's someone went and bought tools or went and got fuel or their van serviced or I got a car wash, whatever it is, that receipt I can upload. Um, I just take a picture of it and it gets uploaded to what we call a hub doc. So it's similar to like receipt bank, things like that. So it gets, it's immediate. I, I pull up, I get, I get fuel, I get the receipt, I open my phone up, I take a picture of it, put it, it goes in. into hub doc and I'm done. And what happens on the back end is that the financial team gets that and then they're matching it up to the Amex transaction in QuickBooks and puts that attachment there. So we're, we have a full audit log with all the attachments. And if something shows up on the, the Amex or we, we pay something um, and it doesn't have it's like the, the someone didn't, you know, someone didn't process the invoice through the the for the job or they didn't process an invoice through hubdoc that's when i get that report on monday saying hey you have 23 transactions and here are the people that you know here's the like whose card it is so i get a list like nick you know nick my pm or mike and then i can reach out to everyone like hey you, you know you gotta you gotta submit these today and they're usually it's like it's usually like within like the last three days and he's like man come on <laughs> like I just, I just need a minute, you know, yeah. I'm getting the guys going, I'll submit it in a minute, uh, but it's, that's the process. So it, you know, we're, we're not missing, like rarely, rarely are we missing a receipt. Which is good. So, so but uh, so do you have an addition to that expense reports they're doing, or is it strictly they're using the company card for like all their purchases? Strictly. Stric- I, I can't stand expenses. Yeah. Expense reports. It takes a lot so of everything, time. Yeah. Everything goes on the company card. And if, you know, and my accountant's good, it's, you know, if she sees anything out of the norm, mm-hmm. it goes, I get, I get notified. And then the accountability know? side though, I understand out of the norm, but you know, to make sure someone's not going excessive at Home Depot, maybe on RAM board or things where they're mismanaging the job. I mean, how, how in depth do you get accountability wise with them or most of them good say, stewards? 
I mean, most of them are good stewards. I, I it's funny. I, I'm sitting here thinking about uh, a gentleman that no longer works for us. That after we let him go, I was going through his credit card statement. He he would buy Mountain Dew all the time. I was like, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Um, <laughs> I just it's it's just a fun. It's so funny to me. Like especially that it's Mountain Dew. Yeah. But um, <laughs> no, I I think when it comes to mismanaging a job, I think that is that gets caught when you know we're over budget on site protection like you're using the ram board for example if we had two grand in there for site protection and we're 2500 i might open up and look at these receipts for that are attributed to the job it's like dude why did you buy 12 rolls of ram board for this job or hey you you got a receipt in here that you bought a folding table well i needed a desk well that's not job cost like that's not a necessarily a job cost um you know so we're, we're I would say we're really we're re- really thorough um and you know from the overhead side anything like fuel like for instance uh one of my guys got fuel out of state um and the weekend before two of them fueled up on like Saturday and she pinged me she's like hey guys are filling up today no one's working I'm like we're good like no problem like they probably just took the van out to to get fuel so they didn't have to do it Monday morning I, you know not a big deal but she's she's on top of it, which is good. Um, yeah, which is great, and it's you know when things and you know looking at twenty twenty, we we put together a, a you know a relatively formal budget based on fictitious numbers, like what I thought I'd spend on things, and now this year twenty twenty one, we we built a budget based on last year. So we're looking at all right, last year you spent a hundred thousand dollars in professional fees. Mm-hmm. You know, let's look at that. All right, and we we broke that out and I can, you know, expand that within our report and see where that hundred thousand dollars were spent and say, yeah, I'll probably spend that again this year. Or, you know what? I went to that conference and it was a $10,000 conference. I'm not going to go to one this year. So maybe we can budget 90. And that's really, well, I think really what you're hitting on Nick, if I interrupt, I mean the job costing, and that's, that's one of my next questions because I don't think, as far as my experience has been, I think everyone else in every industry job costs, they know exactly every little thing that's going into the production line. And a lot of it's a different, you know, manufacturing or things they're, they're tracking that in construction. We're kind of open-ended mm-hmm. and it, it really wasn't until I would say probably a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago that I sat down and my, my system is a little bit different. I have a controller that's in house with me. Um, mm-hmm. that we can talk about later, but but it's very similar in the sense that she's like, well, Brad, this is how much you're spending on legal fees, right? This is how much you're spending on marketing, on dumpsters, on RAM board, on photography, or, or as you mentioned, you know, travel uh, mm-hmm. for business. And so the advantage is you can create a budget. Now I know, okay, well, what what's my nut to crack? What do I have to what do I have to build this month to make sure that I can keep overhead for my superintendents and PMs and office staff? Right. And all the incidentals, right? Because is what I like that you're doing is if someone goes and buys a folding table. Yeah, that may be necessary and it's fine. It's not like there's an issue with that, but it's don't bill it to the job, bill it to overhead so we can track and right. figure out, you know, our cost. Yeah, and that's I mean the it's crazy as I scale up it, it you know, that nut to crack as it's you say big. and like understanding what what's that? I said it's big, it grows fast. It grows super fast and it's you know, and you almost forget not forget, but you almost don't realize unless you have that put together what you really have to do meaning like you're you're like 
understanding if you don't if you don't execute a certain amount of work your percentage on that your markup has to be you have to collect it's not even the percent you you could be charging 50 percent markup but if it's not enough dollar value to cover that you know month to month overhead it doesn't matter what your markup is and i think you know from the lack of business experience prior to owning a business that was one of the hardest things where it's like yeah we we're expensive our our fees are big and then it's like why if our fees so big why can't i afford to to you know why why does every month hurt so bad and it's then you know and and looking at it now and it's 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 similar it's funny i i'm I, it uh i'm glad you said it it was like a year and a half ago for you cuz i feel <laughs> like you know I was like, oh man, I thought Brad had it stuck together. Maybe we're both in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, we're in the same boat. I wish I could sit here and act like it's this perfect thing, but it's the same thing where it's not, yeah, it's... I, I, I work for a builder. I had five, six years, and I feel like, not to throw them under the bus, but they would just take a job, they're bidding, oh yeah, we'll just do it this percentage, right? and have no clue at the end of the day. And so I would follow that same mindset. I'm like, why are we not making money? Why are we losing here? Right. Why? And, and until you mentioned, and you're really tracking this stuff, and now I know, okay, well, it's not even markup um, margin. Yeah, that's important. But it's what's what's my nut to crack and what are right. my costs, my incidentals, my unknowns that are happening? And why am I not right. tracking that? This episode is brought to you by Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove. For over 75 years, Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove has specialized in refrigeration, cooking, and dishwashing that can be found in some of the world's most luxurious homes. At AFT Construction, we look forward to crafting our client's dream kitchen when building the home of their dreams. To get this process started, we locate the nearest showroom and set up an appointment. It's that easy. Since Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove specializes in three major categories, we can make all of our kitchen selections in one stop. The first one is that Sub-Zero handles refrigeration. They are the preservation specialist. Key features included fresher, longer dual refrigeration, advanced air purification, precise temperature control, customized modular design. This ensures tastier, healthier food and eliminates waste so that the food stays fresher longer. Second is that Wolf is the cooking specialist. Key features include precise heat control, predictable, consistent temperature, intuitive controls, and easy-to-use technology. Everything is designed with you in mind. These features enhance flavors of food, ensure consistency, and eliminates guesswork. Delicious results every time. And last but not least is Cove, the cleaning specialist. Key features include precise water flow, superior drying conditions, fully adjustable interior for every need, and so quiet it never interrupts. Not only are all products functional and reliable, they look great, truly built to last. To schedule an appointment at your nearest Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom, visit subzero-wolf.com backslash showroom or click the link in our show notes below. Last year was a really bad year for us. It was just, it was really tough on us, you know, emotionally, physically, you know, financially, everything just was really tough. And, you know, we were incredibly busy, a ton of work coming in, but nothing that we could get to fast enough. And, and durations you know, are long. And so duration, that kills your yeah. overhead. I mean, it kills your margin. Exactly. And it was the, you know, our overhead costs never changed, but the rate in which we were completing work did. So, yeah, we were still making the same percentage, but we did less work. So at the end of the day, it's like, and it damn, took longer. Like we we it that took longer and now we weren't collecting enough money you know or fast we weren't collecting money fast enough to cover what we were spending a month on overhead and it is it's you know this year and you know with my accountant my accounting team i started working with a coach right at the beginning of covid 
both of those things, these guys, these people are holding me accountable, but, but more importantly, they're making me understand what it means and, you know, and what the dollars mean and, and it not being so much about the markup and margin. That's wildly important. Like that's what, that's how you make money, but it's, how does that relate to how many sales you have? You know, you could, you could, you can be more aggressive with your, your markup if you have more sales mm-hmm. or know, bigger sales if, or bigger volume. Or bigger and... sales, right. So being able to, you know, my coach, uh, we, we have a, a fantastic KPI, uh, worksheet we work out of and it's, 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 it's overwhelming to be, to be honest, but you know, as we work through it and I, I begin to understand it, it becomes this incredibly useful tool where it's, allowed me to have the confidence to say yes and no to projects with you know and know what that meant rather than like i'm just going to say no because i don't think i need it where it's like no i'm saying no because i know that that's not going to help what our goal is you know if we're set out to do you know x amount uh this year that's not going to have a big enough um impact to that that sales and we need to hit that sales number if we're going to spend you know, 9% of that on the overhead, you know, and being able to just try, like, again, being able to track that and being able to see that is, is super helpful in, in the decision-making, especially when it comes to, you know, what sales you want to be doing. And even more so like to go back to, you know, getting into more full home builds or, or large scale renovations, it's, you know, I look at that. It's like, well, what's your goal? And I, and I, and my goal is to, to do two to $4 million size projects. You know, I'd love to do a couple $8 million projects, but right now I think it's more realistic to get in the two to $4 million. And ideally we have $12 million worth of sales, you know, completed in this year. And that means I would need three, $4 million jobs or six, $2 million jobs. And that's a big difference. Mm hmm. And it's, but being able to plug these in and look at that sheet and see what that does and realize that, oh, I don't actually need to sell six. Like if I, if I sold just three, four million, maybe that's what I go after, after. And I love, and and I think you're teaching something that's the most important when you start thinking about just to use some numbers, if my nut to crack as a company is 50 grand a month for payroll, for incidentals, for overhead, I mean, just to run my business. You know, and you multiply that over a year, 600 grand. Well, I have to do a recording revenue, right? And then where that delta can change for a builder, for anyone, as you mentioned, is, okay, am I doing 10 remodel jobs at 200,000, right? For $2 million and then a $600,000 fee, or am I doing, you know, one $2 million custom or, but but not that you get $600,000 fee, but, but your, your theory is correct in the sense that if I can do three, $4 million homes, well, the margins are there. I know my nut to crack. I know my warranty exposure. Now I know as this thing goes down the road, you know, I can, I can base that fee instead of just someone saying, Hey Nick, will you come build my house? I'll pay you a fixed fee of 200 grand. And you're thinking, Oh, that's a lot of money until you realize probably doesn't go very far right over a 16 month process. I I think, you know, to, to even to simplify it even more, it, what it comes down to is that, that when you understand what it takes to run your business and then equate that to what you need to do in sales, dollar value 
and then divide that by how many projects you want to be doing or how many you can, right? Like if you have 1 p.m., you know, it's probably not realistic for them to run 10 projects, 10 mm -hmm. $200,000 projects where it's like, but he could run one $2 million project, you know, or maybe two, you know, and being able to understand all that allows you to not take that, you know, not take that job when, you know, I think I feel like mo so many builders, including myself, are so optimistic where it's like someone's going to call you. It's like, hey, I want to build a $12,000, uh, 12 million, sorry, 12,000 square foot custom, but I want to start in six months. I, you, you know, and you, you're super excited. So we're probably saying, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. Where it's like, wait a second, hold on, hold on. It's like where we've already built this year out. Like if we do that, we're going to need to hire someone. Mm -hmm. Or if you do that, you know, now you're impacting other things or the other side where it's like, Hey, can you squeeze in a My half bill. a million dollar renovation? Yeah, I should be able to do that. And, and not you're you're making these decisions based on feel rather than and I and then numbers. I just want I want to get something off off the table. Like I I'm certainly not a professional at this. This is something I'm I'm learning each and every day. This is something that I've put a lot of effort into, and and I'm just now uh, recently realizing how important it is in my decision making, which I think has led to the ability to like like this year we're going into. 2021 with four new construction projects which is fantastic and they're all custom they're you know most of uh most of them we uh, i'm sorry two of them we brought the architect another one was an architect driven and then the third one is a an architect's personal home and it's because we were able to shift our business and, and make sure we were focusing on the projects that we wanted rather than taking on projects to keep the pipeline full yeah, and I think the point you bring up, Nick, that's super valuable is you have to understand as a business owner that, yes, just because the job may come. And what's tough in construction, I mean, you and I, even though we're fairly young, we've lived through enough recessions where you don't want to turn away work. But at the same time, it's really important to understand that, yeah, not everything is so cut and dry. If I'm going to sign three, $4 million customs, I may have to hire somebody. Like, mm -hmm. I may have to hire another coordinator. I may have to hire another estimator. Well, that's going to change my overhead. I have to add someone in the field. And depending on the complexity, they may not be able to run two houses. They may only be able to do one because it's so complex. And so that's going to change. And then you have to keep feeding the machine, right? And I think a lot of people miss that in our industry for whatever reason. I think I did being transparent, right? You don't until you start really understanding the numbers. Yeah. I mean, let's look at the, the, the opposite way. A couple months ago, we were invited to bid on this project, biggest project I've ever bid on. And we... You know, and we don't oftentimes bid, but it was just, it was for a great architect, an amazing project. And I think our price came back at like 7.2 billion. And they ended up hiring the guy that was 10.2. <laughs> and because they had a better portfolio, they've built these type of projects, rightfully so. Hey, mm -hmm. no, pro like, no, like, I just was excited to be part of that process. Mm -hmm. But, I thought of that and, and John had asked me the question on the modern craftsman and he's like, if that hit, would you have been able to do it? And of course I'm saying, yeah, like that's, this is, this is my shot. I got to take the risk and this is how I take my business to that level. But to think now it's like, if I did $7.2 million job based on what I was projecting for sales, that would have been my entire year of sales. But at the time I had three project managers. Am I putting all three project managers on, on that? job? Yeah. It's like, no. 
So it's like it works in the opposite as well. It's like if you take on one job, now all your eggs are in one basket. You can't do that. Yeah, and that's what you have to understand, the growth in comparison to the skill level and talent of your team, to the training, to the systems. I mean, and and I think what's incredibly complex, and I'll be honest, I have a hard time getting my mind around this, Nick, how you do this, because I've been asked a lot to self-perform. Like, do you want to do self-perform even though I worked as a subcontractor all teenage years, you know, and before getting into GC. Um, and I really don't, I think it's very complex, like our company and what we do and the projects we do and trying to start a framing division or a carpentry division or a tile division. Yeah. Because the ebbs and flow of my projects and I'm thinking, well, now I got to start bidding and manage people and hourly. And you're doing that. Like you have salary people, you have them, hourly people that are self-performing and you're bidding, I assume for other GCs, right. For your carpentry side. I mean, how are you mm-hmm. managing all that cash no, flow and time? My carpentry is not being it's just bid out to self-performed. GCs. It's they, they only work for us. So do you, how do you manage, I guess your job flow where you may have a it's, crunch in the summer, you know, three jobs and then you have a slow time in the fall. I mean, how do you even, it's, it's super complex. Um, and it's funny, you're, you're touching on a sensitive subject right now for me because, (laughs) you know, I think just about everyone that I've talked to for business advice has told me that the self-performing is what will kill me. (laughs) And I appreciate that. I would be lying if I had said that I have never considered getting rid of it, but there's a big part of me that really enjoys it. And I think there's a part of it that's a selling feature now what it comes down to and this is you know basically where my mind has been at for a couple weeks now is that we're not going to be able to self-perform all of the carpentry just never going to i'm not going to do it i'm not going to scale the the carpentry side of my business up that much because keeping the guys that are self-performing busy can be a struggle already i mean we have a cabinet shop That's what I mean. I mean, you have equipment, you have a cabinet shop. Oh yeah. I mean, and there's been times when the cabinet shop has been slow and that's scary, you know? And it's, you know, what it comes down to is really outlining, I I guess scaling, like looking back, it's, we need to have big enough projects that can sustain those people, but not be the primary, like, I don't think that we're, we're never going to frame a house. I just don't ever see that happening. We're not going to, we're not going to do the trim in a 10,000 square foot house, but we're going to have carpenters on that on, on staff that they're probably going to help with the trim. They're going to get on site and help with the frame. And then they're going to be the carpenters that are on that project throughout. So as we need, as we need carpentry, we have carpenter on staff. That is just, they're, they're, they're there. They're the, the, the project carpenters. And it's a little easier with the, the small projects we have now where it's like, we can kind of bounce them around. Hey, go frame this edition. Hey, go frame, you know, this, this remodel. Uh, and then when, once the plasters get over there, head over there and do the trim on this one, but it is, it's, 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 it's a moving target. You're always moving them around. We're meeting once a week to figure out where guys are going to make sure that everyone has a place, but you run the risk of putting them on a job to burn hours. Mm-hmm. And I, and I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. And oftentimes I won't, or I'll put them on a job, but then I'll eat the cost of it because I can't build a client for that. You know, the, the emotional side of, you know, what we do. Um, 
where it's like maybe some will say, well, that's they hired you to have that level of care, sell that, and and you can build that. But I don't know. I I don't have the the self performing thing is very difficult, and it proves to be difficult. Um, you know, parts of me think about you know separating them as different companies um, for a multitude of reasons. You know. Um, I mean, if we want to go down a rabbit hole, it's like if I set if I separated my carpentry company, I could bill NS Builders mm-hmm. the carpentry a, a higher carpentry rate, and I could make a profit on both. And that's I mean that's how these big companies like, they do it. Like if you look it. at big commercial firms when they have their own concrete or their own metal framing or own Brad, stuff, they, they, it's they, a big they, big stuff. They have a dump truck. Right. Yeah. With their name on the side of it. Yes. But underneath it says leased by this trucking company or a water truck, you know, as they're doing, you know, dust and it's not even it's it's not even their truck. It's the it's the the other company's truck. So the other company is leasing it to the construction company, which it's the same company. Mm-hmm. And But it's a way that they're able to make additional revenue, which it's smart. But I mean, again, getting more complex, getting into larger systems and things like that. The self-performing thing to, to answer your question is extremely difficult. It's something that I, I don't think will go away within my business entirely. I do think it will be because our projects are getting larger um, and our projects have relatively been anything from small remodel up to two, three million dollars. And if we're getting into the, you know, million to let's like one to five million dollar range, then I think there's an opportunity where the carpenters can ha- basically have a place where they can be a group that bounce from job from each job um, and be the support to what we need. Well, um, I, 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 and I'm not trying to talk you out of it. Hopefully you know that by this conversation, it's just more curiosity than anything, because I think about, you know, the material side inventory, right? And as you mentioned, it, our, our roles and jobs are incredibly complex and adding an element now where, you know, for me, if I have an overlap in a project with the superintendent who's on salary, yeah, well, you know, there's overhead, you know, I can move that. But when you have someone hourly, you're constantly thinking every week, where are they going to be? What job are they billing to mm-hmm. and depreciation of equipment or, you know, office space or however you're doing that, you know, from a financial strategic standpoint, right. but, um, it just adds a whole nother element or a management side where you have to have someone managing these guys, make sure they're performing, make sure they're showing up. Right. Just like we have to do with our trade partners, you know, that they're not right. distracted and they're on the job and they're, do what they need to do. Yeah, it's it's tough, and and you know, I have uh, that financial team actually tracks all of the hours. So we 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 do time clocks to build a trend. And if they're not, you know, putting their time to our, to a job, we basically have this general line item where they they bill their time to. So each at the end of the month, I get this report showing, hey, you, you spent two hundred hours on general which means that's 200 hours that weren't like we couldn't bill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a, it, in, you know, in relation, it's usually a very small percentage to the, the amount of hours worked, but it's like, all right, well that 200 hours equates to a dollar value. And if that keeps adding up and we're spending say a hundred thousand dollars a year, that would be like me hiring a, a, a carpentry, a, superintendent, well, yeah, an estimator, whatever. Or an or a carpentry company to come and, you know, screw around at my office and fix stuff. <laughs> it's like that's a lot of money. That's basically what it is, right? Yeah. It's 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 busy work. 
So it is something that I have to, you know, continue to monitor and I have to improve upon the, the you know, I mean, Brad, I'll, to, to continue the transparency last year, I looked at, um, I did a report a couple weeks ago. We did $150,000 worth of rework last year, meaning work that I got on site and wasn't happy with or the guys screwed something up just strictly from self-perform not from other trades strict no 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 strictly self-perform okay and that's a huge nut Mm -hmm. that's a that's a big big dollar value in addition to general admin i would assume oh yeah yeah oh yeah and it's you know and it's just rework and it's you know maybe we could have let some of that stuff fly but that's just not who i am that's not who we are and it, that's where it's you know it makes me question where it's like man does it really make sense to have everyone on staff like does this you know what would have happened if it was a subcontractor would the subcontractor have billed me for additional time probably but you know but all of it or would have or would a good portion of it have been you know a quality thing where it's like hey you understand our quality you need to work that out and do it again and when you know a subcontractor is on the hook, th- there is this financial aspect to it, where an employee, you know, there there is no financial repercussion there. It's you know it sucks, and they they don't feel good about ripping it out. And and I have learned to navigate that conversation in a way where I'm not, hey, you suck, like you got to do that again. I'm trying to to you know help them improve right hey i'm giving you this opportunity to like rethink the way you did that and let's do that again and but they're still getting they they get paid again they're getting paid to Mm -hmm. rip it out and they're getting paid to put it back in and it's a matter of catching things you know early early enough where oftentimes i feel as though you know especially with newer guys it's something gets done and they're probably like, eh, that's, uh, I guess that's good enough. And then it gets installed and then it gets plastered. And then I show up on site and I see it and I'm like, that access panel is an eighth inch too small. It's like, oh yeah, but you know, it's not, I'm like, rip it out. And they're like, what? And it's like $700 access panel. You know, it's going to be buried behind a, a sofa, but it just doesn't fly. Like that's just, you know, we've set out to be really, really good. And we're only going to get really, really good is if we hold ourselves accountable every single time, not not allow the the mediocrity to slip in here and there because it will just continue to slip. You know that that philosophy. I think that, I mean, it shows a lot about you as a person, Nick, and just the brand you're building. I mean, I think that's what makes NS Builders who you are. I just, you know, I think about it from my side. Even a, we we do a hybrid. We do cost plus. We do lump sum. It's both. It's really our market's kind of all over. Um, and it really depends on the price point too, really on the really high end, real expensive um, homes that we're doing. They typically are cost plus for a lot of reasons. They're incredibly complex. There's as much as we try to have decisions are open-ended. But I, at the end of the day, even on a, on a cost plus, there are legitimate things that I can't charge the customer for, right? And I know that going in. Like even though my fee's locked, whether it was neglect on our side or mismanagement or we didn't manage the schedule properly and things were installed before they should have been. 
you know, and you have to rip stuff out to put it back in. Um, you know, I look at that too. I'm tracking, I'm tracking, well, what are my costs associated with Mm. these things that we're not properly managing? What is the warranty? You know, as I've come back, even though our trades have warranties and we do, and we follow that and, you know, there's going to be things we do that are extras and courtesies and warranties pass. We're going to cover it. So there's always those costs, right? As your tail gets longer. And then as you mentioned, you know, that element of like I have right now, we have a ceiling that just was not turning out. Like it was part framers, part drywall, part painter. And we ended up redoing the ceiling four times, right? Mm -hmm. So frustrating. And then everyone's like, well, the drywall wants to get paid. The painter wants to get paid. The framer doesn't want to get back charged. And, mm -hmm. and it's hard to point blame and you got to eat some of these costs now. And then some of the cabinetry got damaged because four times we have drywalls in there and painters. And so these costs add up and, you know, it, it's really hard to track that. I think that's one of my biggest struggles is how do we accumulate enough revenue to have a kitty fund, if you will, to take care of some of the stuff. So it's not costing the job and our bottom line at the end of the day. And then, I mean, it's just, when, when you share that example of it doesn't meet my quality and then we also are maybe buying some new base and case and restaining it and putting it in, it's just, it's a whole nother level. It's like, it sucks. <laughs> it's, you know, and it, it, it's tough too, because I'm, I'm, like I said early on, I'm pretty good with just making a decision on the fly. And, you know, there's been a few times where I see something, I know it's wrong. I think I'm going to let it go. I go home. I don't sleep. And then I show up on the job site the next morning and they're like, oh, we're, rip yeah, we're ripping that out. Okay. That's why, <laughs> that's why you're here. Right. And it's tough. And I've made some, I mean, dude, I've made some big, big decisions, you know, as far as like to redo things or to rip something out and everything from subcontractor work to, you know, our own work. It, what it comes down to is, you know, oftentimes it's a conversation amongst me and uh, the team. And it's like, hey, are we can we be proud of this? And, you know, I, there, there's a story I told uh, a few times as though we had this small project, small kitchen project, wanted to figure out how to expand our bandwidth and said, you know, why don't we partner with another cabinet maker? So when we have smaller projects, we can maybe utilize them and we hired them to build this kitchen, uh, all the cabinetry. We installed it. It, it didn't seem like it was going to hit our mark, but I was like, let's just try to get it there. And there were some serious issues with it that probably could have been fixed. Um, and you know, it got to the point where Ken, who runs my cabinet shop and myself were standing in the room and we had spent all day just like trying to adjust things and make it look right. And we still had this list of things that, you know, if the guy could fix them to a level that we were happy with. And I looked at him and I said, do you think that there's anything we can do with what we have here that we could walk away and say that we're proud of? And he said, no. I said, then we're ripping them out. And I called the client and I said, hey, I'm not giving you an option. We're ripping the cabinets out. Let me know when you're going away for a week and we're going to come in here and do a swap in seven days. And we did, and it cost, I don't, I think it was like 60 or 70 grand to do it between getting all the trades back, the counter guys, tile, cabinetry cost, 
you know, I mean, hard costs, like no profit. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was a small job, $170,000 budget, you know, and or it was just, I think it was, yeah, it was like around 170. I didn't make any money on that job. I lost money, mm -hmm. like significant money, but it was the right thing to do. Well, hold and, on. And, and if I interrupt you, Nick, for a second here, what, what I think that people miss from this story is it's easy to look at the balance sheet and say, or this job specific, this job cost and say, I lost money. But what people don't understand is that, okay, getting back to the branding, this is an investment in your company mm -hmm. and yourself, right? By you investing that 70 grand in this project, what that does is now enable you to build your company and build to that next one, which you and I have continued to do. When I did it, mm -hmm. when I first started out and I could only get a kitchen remodel or do a bathroom vanity, I already knew that I had the experience and I knew that I had the aptitude and that I wanted to do the $2 million custom. And then I knew I wanted the $5 million one, the $10 million one, right? Like you and I are aspiring to this, but if you're not going to take care of the client at the $170,000 level and execute at the NS Builders investment that you know you're going to be, you're not going to be able to get that $5 million job. And that's why, I mean, I'll commend you for that because that shows why there's very few builders, I think, that would take that initiative and have that drive. But that's going to allow you now that it's like I always say, chase experience, not money. You're chasing that experience, that investment in yourself and your team and, and teaching them so that now in the years to come, when you're doing 15 million a year and then 25 million a year, that brand's been built and that expectation's been set. Yeah. And, you know, there's this, I, I continue to tell that story. Um, and the reality is if we had left it, and I think this is an important note, if we had left it, we probably could have got it to a point where the client was happy. A hundred percent. Like, you know, the client would have been happy. Like it would have been to a point where the client was happy. Did, would we have gotten a referral out of it? Maybe not, but the client would have been happy. It would have been fine. Everything would have went on and we would have moved on and we wouldn't have lot, you know, spent that money. And, you know, but I also didn't do it thinking that, well, I need that referral. And, you know, it, it if we had, we, we, I guess what I'm getting at is if we had left it and, and made it the best it could have been and finished the job, it probably would have been a pretty neutral situation. Cause I, I don't know about you, but I hear plenty of horror stories from reputable guys where it doesn't make it very far. Like they have a terrible experience, but they're not, they're not chanting off their front step, telling everyone that that builder stinks. Like mm -hmm. it, it kind of, the builder goes on and does another job and someone else has a bad experience. It's not, it's not really shared the way, you know, a poor restaurant experience yeah. might be it's so true, know? but the flip side is us replacing it. You know, yeah. The architect called me and said, Hey, I've never, like no one would have ever done that. Like they would have just made it the best they could and moved on. And the client was super happy and their neighbors were, you know, couldn't believe that we did that. But it, I think it's still, I'm not, it was, it's, it didn't end up being a referral. Like it's still a neutral situation. So the end result, you know, understandably is would have been the same you know for for business but for us and for the accountability for me and my guys and my team and our approach as NS builders that's what would have suffered the fact that we would have let something slide and then why wouldn't we let it slide the next time and I understand that the company value the company mantra I mean everything you stand by would have suffered did it change the client experience? Did it change their final outlook? Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, they were they they couldn't believe that we were going to do it. They you know 
were i think there was a point in time where they were like no no no, that's not necessary and i said listen i with all due respect i'm not giving you an option i'm not happy with it i'm replacing it and you know and we even went as far to make some upgrades in in the cabinetry because we were like you know what we're we're saying sorry and we're saying sorry again and this is how we're going to do it and the experience was great and they were ecstatic um you know with 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 the the kitchen and it was a lesson you know and we i mean even more recently we had we built a, a really expensive kitchen and we built the oven cabinetry based on the thermidor spec i hope thermidor is not a sponsor for you. <laughs> uh because they you know the specs were were they weren't wrong but they were poor in the sense that you had these ugly reveals i'm talking you know a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of cabinetry and you have these two ovens that don't fit as though they were fit like they were built for mm-hmm. that and we built it to the spec and it's like th- is that wrong you know was what was what we did wrong i mean maybe you could argue that we built it to spec but the the client has every right to argue that i didn't hire you to build me a spec kitchen i hired you to build me a bespoke kitchen and i gave you the appliances so it's you know it's one of those things where it he was right and i said you know what we're going to take these out and we're going to re- we're going to rebuild them and you know and we learn from that it's you know if we hadn't done that we wouldn't have felt the pain and now by doing it rebuilding them and feeling the pain next time the appliances are going to be in our shop being fit before the thing gets sent out to finish because that hurts a lot less to be able to 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 fix it while it's being fabricated than it than it does when everything's done, installed, cocked in place, counters are in, et cetera, et cetera, and then you're building a cabinet cabinet over. It's funny you say that because we we just went through the same experience. I mean, we we used um, I don't want to say a lesser brand, just is one off where we use mm-hmm. <laughs> some different appliances that I typically do not use because, and uh, the reveals are wrong. Like the the panels didn't fit right. They're stuck out. Mm-hmm. They protruded from the 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 cabinetry face. And it's the same thing. It's like I'm sitting there in the client, you know, you already know where this is going to go, as you said. I mean, you can't spirit of law, letter of law, like I can't leave it, even though we built it to spec, and that's what right. they said. It just, you have to rip it out. My cabinet company wasn't happy about it, you know, but, no. um, and of course we end up eating that cost, but I mean, it has to be done. Right. It's, you know, it is, it's, you're, you're, we're putting ourselves in this bracket of, um, you know, bespoke custom, you know, ultra luxury, ultra, like ultra refined. And it's, we're going above and beyond. And when you're operating at such a high level, it's so much easier to spot mistakes. And, you know, and it's, we're, it's almost like we're doing ourselves a disservice. You know, another example would be, we're working with this plastering company on a project really, really, modern um contemporary home and the plaster was you know multiple 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 times the amount of money as our traditional plaster and months of time longer like just everything was longer and but i've never seen a wall so flat 
because they're using eight foot straight edges and screeding these walls to be within a 30 second across these massive planes. Now, what happens there is it looks incredible, but that little nick in the wall that ended mm -hmm. up in the paint, that's the only thing you see because there's nothing else to draw your eye away from it. And that's what I mean by, you know, when you start operating at a level of, you know, not perfection because nothing we do is perfect, but striving for excellence, the you're, you, you easily trip over the things that don't meet that. It's like a piece of white, you know, a white countertop, pure white countertop. There's one speck of dirt on it. The only thing you're looking at is that dirt, you know, and it's, and, and it's tough and, and it's funny. I say it all the time. It's like, it would just be way easier to be mediocre. I'd make way more money. <laughs> I'd have way less stress. I, you know, if I just came in here and just slam stuff together and tell them I don't care and I'm on to the next one, it, it, I'd make more money. I don't know if that's true. But yeah, I know, but it's good in theory, I, I, right? I like At least. Think that, yeah, I'd like to think <laughs> that it would be true. I'd probably lose my shirt, but... um but it is. It's just when you when you're pushing yourself to be so so good or, or strive for uh, that level, it's it's so your the level of expectation that clients have um, is almost to a point where it's unrealistic. So when you were and I'm going to change this a little bit back to marketing because you continue to touch on this. I mean, I would assume when you were in college, Nick, you didn't take marketing. I didn't. You know, I, I see the value of marketing now, whether logo design or messaging, photography, I mean, whatever it is that you're using to build your brand. And I've known you spoke about, I know that you've spoken about this before is um, when you're marketing your company, you have to be very careful because as you said, you may be showing this amazing kitchen remodel or bathroom remodel. Well, the problem is you can have 20 clients call you about a bathroom remodel and you may not want to keep doing that bathroom remodel. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but you're looking at the vision of your company and overhead of, as we discussed. So, there has to be some care in your marketing strategy to say, okay, I understand the scope of work that I've completed. You know, it's not fake it till you make it, but it's like, I need to position my firm to be here because that's where we're going. And I think you've done that really well. I mean, speak to that. Like, is this just from watching, as you mentioned, other industries market their brand? Is this self-taught? Is this something that you just pick up on or you just inherently know, I know where Ennis is going to be. We're growing and this is how I need to position us. It's, it's paying attention to what other people are doing in different industries and, and being self-taught. You know, I've always, you know, I've always said that I have an obsessive personality and, and I do in the sense that when I see something that might work or that might benefit me, I'm all in, you know, and it's, you know, if someone tells me, Hey, the, the right way to, uh, get your brand to certain clients is Facebook ads. You got to target Facebook ads. You know what I'm doing at night? <laughs> Running up the credit card on yeah. some Facebook ads. <laughs> Learning how to, to run targeted Facebook ads. And, you know, and it's, but it's interesting to me. It's like, I, I it's an interest, the sales process is interesting to me. And it's like this game, right? And, you know, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way or a, a sleazy way. It's like, no, but they're, you know, if a client wants to buy from you, you know, you, it's your job to walk them through the quote unquote sales funnel and get them to, to, you know, trust you and, and eventually buy from you. You know, the building industry is a little different because the funnel is so wide 
catches so many people and it, it, it's a really long journey from the time that they come across you to the time that they actually want to build with you. So you have to be patient. So I've, I've learned that through, you know, paying attention to other builders, but paying attention to other industries and what they've done to, um, you know, drive sales to their company from a marketing standpoint, because it really is, someone said this and I forget who it was, but it's not sales and marketing, it's marketing and sales. Because the marketing is basically brand awareness. You're building this brand, you're, you're, you're sharing this brand, you're attracting people to this brand and in hopes that, you know, they eventually make their way into the funnel and, and buy from you eventually, you know, at some point, or at the very least that they're sharing, you know, you become the recommended guy. It's like, oh yeah, you were going to build a house. Dude, you got to check out Brad. Yeah. Brad, like he's the only guy in this area. Like you should see his stuff. So that's where, you know, I realized that, all right, if, if I'm going to do this, I need to create a brand and I'm going to leverage that brand to its potential. And all of the, the, the social channels, Instagram has obviously been a huge success for us. The video has been, you know, successful for us. It's, it's really just choosing to be the, the loudest person, right? It's, you know, you, if, if I'm not going to share how we do something, someone else is. And if that someone else is happens to be the guy down the street, well, guess who they're calling, you know, later on is that guy, because he's the one that decides to share his process, decides to share his story. The reason he does things, his why in the business I'm just, I'm, I'm too quiet. I'm too quiet. I'm not. And, and, and he's, he's overshadowing me and I'm not going to have that opportunity to be, you know, in front of that client. So it is, it's, it's, it's self-taught, but it's by paying attention and, in investing the time, uh, it takes to get the clients that I want. Well, I think what you've done a good job, I'll come in there is there's, um, you know, the saying that personal branding is permanent job security, right? And so there, there's a level there of Nick as an individual brand. There's a level there of NS Builders as a brand, the company that you own and you believe in. Uh, the two do coincide, right? Because there's a lot of relationships you have inside and outside the industry. Um, do you have clients that not on a romantic level, but they fall in love with Nick, right? The personality, the video, the... Mm -hmm the energy that you bring, the knowledge. Um, but the reality is you can't be in the job running every project, in the field running every project. You have to hand this off to your team. So do you have an issue there where clients come in, they want Nick, but now they have Mike or they have whoever out in the field running their job? I would say not as much now. Um, and I think there, I can attribute that to a couple things. Number one, I don't ever remove myself entirely from the project. I'm still part of, you know, I do my very best to be part of every weekly meeting. Um, you know, I, I, I bring a lot to the table, oftentimes, uh, additional work, <laughs> um, <laughs> more or, work to be ripped out and redone possibly. But. Yeah. You know, it's, I, it's. I usually am pretty quiet. And then at the end, I'm like, hey, do you guys mind if I offer up an opinion? <laughs> and, and and then your super is looking at you like, what are you doing to me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and thankfully, the architects are all like, they've they've learned to know me now. 
and it's like, all right, Nick's got something good. I want to <laughs> hear this. Um, but you know, be, beyond be beyond that, I think it's my personal brand. Yes, it, it has been a focus from the branding and the NS Builder side, but I'm also spidering that out. In you know where Ken, you know Ken runs the mill workshop. We just launched a new series on YouTube called Revealed, and he's that's his. I'm not in it. I'm not running it. He's an extension of NS Builders. So people get to learn about him. And, you know, when I'm on Mike's job, I'm showing, I'm showcasing Mike. Mike gets the credit in, in the projects. You know, same thing with Nick, the other Nick. He, you know, I'm showcasing him and it's about, it's about the people. You know, I don't, I think oftentimes people make it too much about just that one person where it's like, if I can expand this and show you that this is a team effort, people fall in love with all of us and it becomes more about us as a team, as an approach rather than I want Nick here every day. And I think that is something that people have a hard time with, uh, especially when they go from like a one person, one, one or two people to, building a business and not just being self-employed right is that they're like well my client my clients hire me for me they have to realize that you're still you're still that person you're still the guy you're you're still who they're hiring and it's your job to get them to be comfortable with the fact that by hiring you they're hiring you in your team and you're hiring the process in which this gets done not me swinging a hammer because if that's what my client wants i'm going to be very upfront i build a lousier cabinet than ken does <laughs> i'm not as good at you know i'm not as good as a carpenter as some uh, some of my guys you know just I, I might tell them i am but you know i'm 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 not and and that's why i've chosen the role of being a business you know owner and building the business and and putting these people in into place because I want to work with some of the very best. Well, to be a good CEO, you said this early in the conversation, right? You're going to hire people that are better than you. I mean, the only way to be an effective business owner, an effective company, is you have to have a team of people with so many strengths that outnumber your weaknesses, right, that are much better than you, and that's what's going to put you in a good position. And, and Nick, I know you're incredibly busy, and you've given us, you've been so generous, given us an hour and a half of your time um, with some big news on the way too that we won't give away, but <laughs> personal news, I guess you should say, but, uh, you know, on a side note, so what, you know, 2020 with COVID and a lot of projects were affected. I mean, what are you up excited about what's upcoming for this year in 2021? Super excited to get into these bigger projects. Um, these custom builds. Um, I was, you know, as many of us do shaking, uh, I, th I think as John says, shaking the trees of these architects that I wanted to work with, you know, hitting them up at their office. They take me out to lunch. We love each other. We can't work, wait to work with each other. And then the, the date ends and it's like, but we have all these reputable builders that we've been working with for 20 years. So it's going to be hard to slip you in. So uh, with respect to that, I actually landed a project um, that we're going to be building this year and called them and said, Hey, I got a project for you Yep, that I want to best you way on. to go. Yep. And I think it was actually you and I talked about it and mm -hmm. you were like, if you can do it, do it. Um, because they will and, repay that. They remember, like I've had a signature. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've sent me yeah. two jobs since. Yeah. 
They'll remember the Nick. Okay. Yeah. So I'm super excited about that. It's an amazing, amazing house. The clients are amazing. Um, same thing with this other, another new build. Uh, great, great clients. Super excited. Want, you know, these are both forever homes. They're building them. You know, forever. It's their family home. This is they want to do this right. Uh, and I brought the architect on that one as well. And a third build that we're early on on uh, in discussion, but it's you know came across this architect. Very, very contemporary, modern. Um, just hit him up on Instagram one day. And he was like, I actually have a project that's right in around like he's uh, they're out of New York right around you. Uh, would you be interested in looking at it? And I said, yes, send it my way. And we've been talking for months and just getting to know each other. And it sounds like we're going to be building uh, another custom forever house for another client um, in the next couple of months. So, you know, 2020 was a brutal year for us. Um, you know, I'm I'm thankful to have continued to work. I'm not so thankful for the stress and the gray hair that it has given me. <laughs> um, but it's, but I did, I really do feel as though I utilized that time to learn and then to, to improve. And I spent some good money uh, with some great professionals that have helped me bring my business to a level that um, will be more sustainable and uh, in a better position and, and scalable. Which is huge. I mean, that's everything. And, you know, I commend you for that, Nick. And uh, just a word of caution, as you already know, doing those ultra modern or modern designs are pretty tough. Like you, you know, executing the high level, they can be a little costly when there's uh, things that loan up. There, there's not much forgiveness, you know, with those. Uh, with, but that, with the Brad, I will be like, that is honestly what I live for. It's awesome. It, it is. And it's, it's like, you know, I love, I love dealing with, alignment and, and light and shadows and material and materiality and how much you know you know even like how materials touch you know I'm, I, for whatever reason I'm, in, I'm really in this big mindset of you know dissimilar materials really shouldn't touch you know and if they touch that needs to be this like very purposeful connection and th i've been trying to approach this um a lot more in the way things are done, you know, uh, like, I guess, for example, you know, slamming cabinet, I don't want to say slamming because it's not, it, it sounds negative, but, you know, cabinetry with a, a tight scribe pushed up against the wall. There's nothing wrong with it. That's like the, the norm around here. And that's what we've always done. But it's, you know, well, can we revisit that? Is there is, you know, does it have to have a filler? Like, can we have this intentional shadow gap or can we have this intentional moment where it goes from cabinetry to wall without this, you know, unnecessary filler or stone that goes up against, you know, uh, drywall and you get this like cock joint that fails. Yeah. It's like, well, does it need to be against the wall? Can it, can it be left off the wall? And I'm using poor examples, but it's, it's things like that that make me question, you know, and, and really strive to improve upon. Um, and I probably, and my guys probably like, I know Ken drives him crazy. He's like, dude, <laughs> uh, Oh my God. Like, he's like, just let it go. And I'm like, I, I can't like the, there's, there's these things that, you know, they mean it, 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 it's intentional. And that's really, that's our word. It's being intentional with everything that we do. Um, 
so a word of caution is heard uh, <laughs> but i'm definitely excited for it well let me tell you this i mean i think i think you use the word intentional but i think your word is moment i love to use that with you know these moments in the house and these moments in the details and yeah. the finishes and stuff and so that that theory of philosophy is amazing nick and again can't thank you enough so where can our listeners find you well, we got a podcast, the Modern Craftsman Podcast, as as many of you guys know. Um, but on Instagram at NSBuilders or our website, NSBuilders.com. Well, you're the best, Nick. Thanks so much. Brad, thank you. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just gonna have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to. They're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.